Hey everyone and welcome back to Flightcast. We're an aviation podcast interviewing everyone from airline and private pilots, air traffic controllers, military personnel, and even aviation photographers. Flightcast got its start as we discussed the mobile flight simulator Infinite Flight, which of course you can find in the App Store or on Google Play if you're interested. With me in the Flightcast virtual recording booth, as always, is my buddy, Skyhawk Heavy, Mark Denton. Hey, Mark. Hey, buddy. What's going on? Well, I just wanted to, right out of the gate, remind all of our listeners, and Mark, I know we've been saying this uh, a lot lately, but I really want to get the word out. We will be live on location on October 7th, that's 2017, at Atlanta Warbird Weekend. Yes, we will be live. We'll be going live in the hangar at the... On the ramp at uh, Peachtree, DeKalb Peachtree Airport, uh, to interview the legendary Tuskegee Airmen, uh, the commemorative Air Force Dixie Wing pilots, and much more. So make sure you come and stop by and say hello and grab your flight cast patch. We're going to have some patches, and uh, of course you'll get to meet Mark. So that's always a big bonus. That's that's worth the trip to Hotland right there. There we go. I mean, <clears throat> you know, we've got people like we said. Uh, on the last show, man, it's it's amazing the people that are coming together to uh, to come out to the show or come out to Warbird Weekend. Oh yeah, um, but you know from well wherever the hell Cam's from, and then uh, <laughs> Seb. Well, I mean, where is he from? Seb is from Sweden. Okay, that's right. Seb Stockholm, is from Sweden. I think. Cam doesn't know where he's from yet, and then we have people coming from Australia. Um, I mean, just everywhere, all over the U.S. So, all over Canada, the U.S. Obviously. and of course you from Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we've uh, what's what's actually been surprising to me is that we've got um, people popping up that are just saying, "Oh yeah, no, I'm going to be there," and I had no idea yet. So make sure that if uh, you know people people know who Mark and I are just by by way of this podcast and and Infinite Flight, but we may not know who you are. So make sure you come up and say hello and definitely remind us how we know you <laughs> that would be great maybe maybe we need to have those hello my name is stickers that would be good on the way into the hangar <laughs> yeah yeah and uh so it it, it has uh, potential to be pretty hot still in october so um come get some some shade in the hangar with us in the hangar yeah so anyway mark let's uh start our interview today no time like the present yeah let's do it Today we're talking to a WestJet pilot who's currently flying the Q400 out of Toronto Pearson. He lives in Toronto, but is joining us today from Quebec City. Rashid, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? It's going very well. How about Thank you? Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, welcome to the show, oh, man. It's, uh, it's definitely our pleasure. Um, Rashid, you and I met on Instagram, of course, which seems to be <laughs> how we meet most of our guests these days. Yep. And uh, man, if if we have listeners that are not on Instagram, you, you got to get on that train. There's uh, so much great aviation content. And Rashid's one of those pilots who, Rashid, you like to uh, do some GoPro video while you're flying. Um, That's right. During, of course, during non-critical phases of flight, you do these things. Yes, of course. And, uh, and so Rashid's got a great Instagram channel. Uh, of course, we have a Flightcast channel. Mark's got his at Skyhawk Heavy. Uh, you can follow Infinite Flight on there if you're an Infinite Flight user. 
Uh, anyway, yeah. so I digress. Rashid, we'd love to hear some of your story, and it, it sounds pretty unique. Um, the, and like we were saying before the show started, the timeline is a bit crazy. So why don't you walk us through some of... Uh, well, first of all, let's go right back and, and tell us what started your love for aviation. Um, well, you know what? I'll start off way back. It started off like a little child's dream, you know. Uh, we were very fortunate when we were kids that we had the opportunity to travel quite a bit with our parents. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of trips. And a lot of uh, We did a huge Euro tour in uh, about 2000 or 99. And um, we were on a flight from Jeddah uh, in Saudi Arabia to, um, to Frankfurt on Lufthansa. And uh, I can tell you right now, they were the most boring flights in the world at the time because... <laughs> uh, all they had was like a little TV and for a four or five year old uh, kid, you know, the only thing to look forward to was maybe, you know, getting a chance to go see the pilots up front. And back in the day, you know, you could go up to the cockpit and say hi. Right. Um, so we did mid-flight. We were uh, asked, uh, you know, we were we asked the flight attendants and the flight attendants were really happy to take us up. And the first officer was on his break. Me and my sisters went in and the captain was nice enough. He's, he offered me the seat. So I actually got to see, uh, sit on a 747-400, um, you know on the right side and my sisters kind of stood in the middle center and he started showing us things and pressing buttons and you know as a four or five year old or actually even a bit older actually I was probably six or seven and um, you see all those buttons I could barely kind of see above uh, the visor to be honest I couldn't see yeah. much <laughs> I could see a bit of clouds and this and that but he was pushing so many buttons talking so much I was kind of in an awe uh, you know awe moment um, but that was pretty much I think where my start happened and you know getting as I got older you know the Microsoft Flight Sim 97 90, or 96 97 the, you know 2000 got into that for a while um but then you know as as time goes on i actually pretty much was away from aviation completely to be honest i it kind of just kind of faded away i got glasses i got older i had more interest in different things and uh um it just kind of went away to be honest and uh and then you know when i was 18 i was kind of working in uh, my dad's business and this pilot showed up at our business and my dad kind of introduced me to him and we started talking and, you know, this is the point where, you know, you're in high school uh, and I was actually in Pakistan. I wasn't even in Canada at the time. I, was in, I, was, I grew up in Canada, then went back. And uh, so I was in Pakistan. So it was even harder to find information on aviation in a country where, you know, general aviation is actually very, very tiny. Um, so we talked and kind of got interested and kind of started researching into it and see where things could go. Uh, at the time, I actually didn't want to do my training in Pakistan. I was working on trying to get out to go to, back to Canada, maybe Australia. There was a huge school in uh, Australia in Adelaide, and then there was Basser Aviation. Uh, I also applied to the Moncton Flight College, uh, where I actually did end up uh, later in my life. Um, but yeah, that was my initial start. I started my training in Pakistan in a city called Lahore, uh, the Lahore Flight Club, which was probably the oldest flying club in Pakistan, um, probably dates back to into the 1800s because uh, when it was a British colony in India and uh, <clears throat> so I started there and uh, continued on initially the plan was to do my PPL and move back and try to finish up convert my PPL and do that but it was it just made more sense to complete the whole CPL uh, get my exams done get the, all the flying done and you know a year and a half later here I was with a commercial pilot's license and uh, the day I did my flight test a week later I was back in Canada <laughs> wow so, so you so the the Take us just really quickly through, you mentioned back to Canada and you mentioned Moncton, um, but yeah. you're also talking about Pakistan. So how does that all work? So I grew up in, so I'll explain that. Yeah, it's a little bit of a back and forth through the timeline. We talked about this a little bit earlier just to introduce myself. But yeah, I grew up in Canada and the U.S. I lived in Texas for a little bit and then moved to Canada in about 2000, um, after post 9-11, 2001, and then 
stayed here with my family. Um, and then I went back because our family's business back home. We had to go back in about 2006 for a little while, which was my just going into middle school to high school, grade nine. Um, so I ended up doing my high school in Pakistan and did my flight training in Pakistan. And then I came back in 2012 of July, um, where we went on a little vacation to Prince Edward Islands. And I took a bus from there. It was pretty random, to be honest, uh, how I chose Moncton Flight College. People asked me, like, hi, why Moncton? But it was pretty random. It was close at the time. I literally took a bis uh, bus from Charlottetown uh, uh, in Prince Edward Island and just took a bus to Moncton, and there I was. So, <laughs> wow. so again, it's a bit of a – I know it's a bit of a wavy story because it is a lot of timeline changes and a lot of things did happen in between that time. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much how I ended up in Moncton. Okay, so and then so now you've got your CPL and you're in Canada. So uh, then, what's the progression at that point? So the biggest priority at the time was to convert the license. Initially, I came so to, you know September of 2012. The uh, major focus was to start doing ground school because there was flying in Pakistan versus flying in Canada is quite different. We did our uh, ground school was very European based, but our flying was very Park 61 FAA style flying. Um, so. It was a bit of an adjustment. I had to learn a lot more coming in. So I did my conversion. I did actually didn't even do ground school at the college. I actually took up uh, this uh, pilottraining.c and it was great. It was a program from uh, Alberta online, cost me 200 bucks. And here I was going through all the courses and studying as hard as I could. Um, during that time, I also got a job. Um, I actually uh, got two jobs at uh, the Moncton Airport and the um, as a dis as a ramp agent for ATS. And then I also had a flight coordinator position, which was semi-dispatch uh, for a small cargo airline, at, uh, which is called Skylink Express. So at the same time, while I was converting, I had these two jobs. I was converting my license. January of the next year, in 2013, um, I was going to enroll into the flight instructor program, which was my major focus, um, and to be an instructor. Because at the time, I mean, people were talking about doing IFR, and you know, I already had a single-engine IFR, but I never even worried about getting a multi-IFR rating at the time. So... Um, I basically just focused on the instructor course, and then when I completed that, I was actually hired by the flight college to dispatch and instruct at the time. So during that time, I was really busy. It was probably the busiest time of my life. I was only 21. I had four jobs. I had dispatch for school, dispatch for the airline, flight instructing, and I was continuing with that ramp job at the time. So my schedule was <laughs> off the hook busy. Wow. Uh, but if you ask me, if you know, if people say like, hey, did you do this? I, I have done everything you could think of uh, to get up here. <laughs> Actually, Mark, this sounds sort of like um, when we talked to Duncan, because uh, oh, he was doing house. dispatch as well at Toronto Island at Billy Bishop. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. funny that the dispatch job actually didn't even promise me like a job. They actually, the first thing I remember in the interview when I went in for that job, um, it was my second interview in Canada. Was, you know, I was coming from 18, 19, you're coming, like, coming to a country. It's a bit of a culture shock again, right? You're kind of readjusting yourself from where you've been to a country that you're going back into. So it was a culture shock, and I applied to a gas station. I remember the first uh, time I had first job, and I had a lot of retail, computer, this, that. You can ask a lot of experience on my resume. I actually didn't get that job. So somehow I landed this uh, airline flight corner position, and the first thing they told me was, we will not guarantee you any flight position. This, is, this will not lead to a flight position at all. Huh. Like This was like set in stone that this okay. would never happen. Um, so funny enough, I mean, I did that job. I did it well. I learned it was a great transition because like I had no idea about how airlines worked in Canada, you know, uh, to a point I had, I didn't even know what the airport codes were. Like it was, it was to that point, like learning the airport codes, like what is YQX? It's Gander, Newfoundland, you know, like I had no idea. So it was a huge transition, um, a learning experience, like setting up fueling, setting up logistics, pilot, talking to pilots. And, um, you know, some of the pilots actually funny enough, I ended up working with later in life and, you know, 
Um, and it was, it was kind of funny how that works out. But um, yeah, so I did that for a while. And end of that year, actually, I was offered a position in a satellite campus for the Moncton Flight College to move to Fredericton, uh, New Brunswick. So then I ended up quitting the dispatch job and uh, uh, just moved on, on that year, early year, moved to Fredericton to teach, just focus on flight instructing. Okay, so from flight instructing, um, then what after that? So, yeah. I mean, this this story just goes on and on. I love it. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, it's a lot. I'm sorry. It's it is. A, it's a very, no. It's great. It's this a is a long, lot of explanation is... there because there's a lot of things that happened in between that led to the final stage. Yeah, no, this is what um, we want to yeah, hear for I, sure. I did like you know I did instructing. Uh, I you know Moncton Fredericton was Moncton was usually like the U uh, you know the cadets. Uh, majorly was at the time we only had the air cadets we had like you know modular students and we had the integrated program the diploma students the university students so i did that for about four or five months i had about maybe 100 150 hours as an instructor um and then they offered that position in Ferguson, which had the chinese contract which was you know almost um it was a harder contract because it was harder work because you're teaching someone that has you know second language uh, people that are you know coming in from china to be airline pilots uh, and training in canada um, so that was a huge challenge in itself, uh, but I, I did okay with it. I actually went in January. I was really busy as an instructor out there. I flew maybe, you know, in months of winter, I was flying maybe 120 hours as an instructor, plus doing like extra work on the side, uh, you know, like, uh, we had situational awareness training simulators. We had other stuff that was going on. So it was a very busy time. Um, and as an instructor, to be honest, it was great. It was all you can eat buffet. To be honest, you had so many students, you always had them ready. You were flying as much as you could. So I gained a lot of exposure, a lot of flying in a very short amount of period of time. Um, and this I did for eight months, I think. And then I ended up uh, actually getting called back for that same airline I worked for as a caravan pilot in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, so from there, I moved again, um, you know, back to Halifax. And here I was flying the Cessna 208 on the right side for a while, uh, getting gaining experience uh, on the caravan. And then... Um, I did that for about maybe five months where I was, and then I was uh, working as on my left seat upgrade at the time. Uh, and then a position for the 1900 opened up in Hamilton. Um, and so I took that right away. I was actually offered to two of us, like we had to decide who wanted which. And the other pilot that I was uh, talking to, he wanted to stay in Halifax and I wanted to go back home towards uh, Oakville and Toronto area. So uh, it worked out great. We, I took the 1900 position and then I moved to on the 1900 for a while. Um, also took up a little bit more work on the side for the airline. I was doing crew scheduling for all the eastern bases at the time. Our airline had bases from all the way from Halifax, Montreal, Toronto, or sorry, Hamilton, and uh, Winnipeg, uh, and Vancouver. So it was it was a pretty pretty big operation for 1900s. You know, we had like about 20 1900s almost, um, six caravan, uh, sorry, eight caravans at the time running all across doing UPS runs. Uh, good amount of good flying too. We you know we would go to New York. We would fly to like Louisville. Um, all the northern routes. It was very intense kind of flying at times too. Plus, we were loading the planes, offloading the planes ourselves. So it was pretty busy work. Um, Say again, what company you were working for with the 1900? It was uh, Skylink Express. Okay, and that's a Skylink Express. Would that be a uh, Air Canada carrier? No, not at all. It is not an uh, express carrier. It is basically just a private company that is okay. uh, contracted. It's kind of like Morningstar or FedEx does that. They contract airlines to do like their last minute deliveries and stuff. Okay. Uh, so it was pretty just uh, cargo, completely cargo, and uh, no affiliation to Air Canada. And that's got uh, uh, that's a Beechcraft, correct? That's that's a Beach, yeah, Beach 1900 uh, C models, the okay. older one. Yep. Got it. Um, so I did that for about eight, you know, I guess a year almost. I expired, and then 
you know, I was working again on my left seat upgrade. I actually did my uh, most of my training for the left seat on the to be a captain on the 1900, and then um, I had interviews coming up, and then I had to skip the ride because I didn't want to sign another bond for training. And um, so here I was uh, in a bit of a pickle to decide what I wanted to do. And Westjet, I did interviews at Westjet, and um, I was put placed into a pool. And uh, yeah, then that just uh, that from there just went into the Q400. So that made it an easy decision at that point. Well, yeah, it was, you know, initially when I did it, like when I skipped the upgrade, I was sitting there for a few months because I had to sit in the pool. They wanted me to build a bit more time. I was about maybe 1,800 hours when I interviewed and they wanted me to get to close to 2,000 before they would, you know, consider. And um, even the people that I interviewed with, we stayed in touch and that was the same case for them as well. They were all placed in pools and uh, to wait and see whenever we get called. But yeah, a few months later, we did get the final call and a job offer. And so here we were. Yeah, we uh, quit, quit that job and um, moved on to the next challenge. Okay, so straight to the Q400 with WestJet, and uh, and how's that going? It's going great. I love it. Uh, you know, it's an excellent machine. It's it's an excellent operation. WestJet as an airline is it's, it's the culture, the people, everything has really been great. Like I've, uh, it's it's almost a, it's a big challenge, right, coming into a sm- from a small company into a big company. But the people have made it so easy, and you know, the flying is great. We do. Um, We'd, we'd travel all over. Uh, I've done flying across Canada a few times, even on a single pairing at times, you know, go all the way from west to the east coast and fly it yourself. It's It's been an excellent exposure, um, a great experience for myself. Now, what's what, what do you see sort of as uh, the next step? What, what, would you be interested in, in captaining the, the Q400? Or, and if this, this is awkward because of your employment, then you don't have to answer. But, uh, you know, is this sort of a stepping stone for you to fly jets or, or what's you know, the next one? People often ask that question, like, you know, what, is, what, is, what are you going to do next and stuff? And I, I tell them, I'm like, you know, I, I worked hard to be where I'm at. I did a lot. Um, you know, you, you initially when you're kind of a bit younger, you know, you're in your 20s, you're like, you want to push hard to be on a bigger plane and this and that. And I've, I've come to realize over the years that maybe I, I'm almost taking a little bit of a step back and I really want to enjoy this as much as I can. Yeah, the captain upgrade is definitely something that I'm looking forward to, but it's something that you have to almost earn, right? It's not something sure. that's going to be given to me. And so definitely I'm, 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 I'm hoping the challenge is going to be coming most likely soon and I'm going to be starting to work hard and, uh, you know, hitting the books and hitting as much as I can, getting as much flying and experience as I can to be able to meet the uh, requirements to do that. But yeah, that is definitely going to be my first goal. Um, as far as the jets go, um, I, I like the up and down. Uh, you know, people, I can't sit. I'm a per- kind of person that is, uh, you know, doesn't like to just sit there. <laughs> ah, that's me. <laughs> I don't think I'm, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think I'm kind of ready for that kind of transition. I'm only, you know, I turned 25. I, I did, you know, you don't want to sit, be just sitting flying a plane for 12 hours. I, I, just, I don't think I'm ready for that kind of flying yet. Sure. Um, yeah, later in the realize. years. Yeah, I realized it very young. And I, I often tell people, you know, like when you go to flight school and you look at all the planes and they're flying by and you're like, hey, look at that jet. Like, that's amazing. It looks good. You know, you t- watch the takeoff. You're like, oh, man, I want to be in that cockpit one day and fly that aircraft. But then you don't realize you can get there. Yeah, you can fly Emirates. You can fly for a Cathay. You're flying a 777. But then you also have to sit there for 12 hours before you do a landing. Sure. And, you know, yeah. you can you can mess up a landing sometimes, but now you have to wait another 12 hours or maybe it's not your turn anymore. You have to wait for like another you know day to come back and try to do it again. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it, I, some I had people, someone who told me uh, he was a Air, Cap, Air Canada captain for a long time uh, yeah. flying long haul. And he said, you know, Jay, I wouldn't at this point in my life, I wouldn't even wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> he hated. He was so bored, so so bored, and he yeah, he hated know, it. it. You know, 
it does, you know, it, I mean, if you have a great crew, it, you know, time can pass. But, you know, we are working up there. It's not just, you know, sitting around. I mean, but it is a long flight, right? Yep. Like, I, for yep. me, I like this. You know, I, we do a lot of these Toronto, Ottawa, Ottawa, Montreal, Montreal, Quebec. Today, I, I flew this morning. I just flew from Montreal to Quebec. I deadheaded to Montreal and then just did one flight. And here I am right now. Mark, have you heard of Live Flight for Infinite Flight? Yeah, man. I've used it to track flights and to see which regions and airports are busy before, you know, planning my flight. Right. Well, as you probably know, a new version of Live Flight is now available at liveflightapp.com. This new version is better than ever and has been rebuilt from the ground up. With the new design, more flight stats, a search feature, and airport information, tracking and planning your flight is easier than ever. Oh, man, I know. And now with the new downloadable KML files, you can download your flight data to any Earth browser, such as Google Earth. It's so cool. Absolutely. And if that wasn't enough, you can now subscribe to Live Flight Horizon, a new service for only $1.99 a month that provides real-time, worldwide airport information such as weather, runway data, and charts. It also allows you to search for flights, active ATC frequencies, and airports. And as a Live Flight Horizon subscriber, you'll also get much longer online sessions, and you'll be helping Cam to keep developing and improving this great app. So guys, make sure you head over to liveflightapp.com to give it a try, and also subscribe to Live Flight Horizon. It will make your infinite flight experience so much better. Live Flight is now available in the App Store for iOS. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, one thing that I really enjoy about, you know, the story thus far is the fact that you're able to see both sides of the table and the fact that, you know, you've worked dispatch, you've worked crew scheduling, and now you're on the pilot side of it. Um, So you're, you know, there's very few people that actually have that experience on both sides uh, because you you probably know a lot of... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and the ramp as well. Um, But you always hear the pilots, you know, they're complaining about crew scheduling this and dispatch that and... But you, you can understand where both sides are coming from, you know. So uh, that's I think true. that's absolutely wonderful that you're able to do that. No, it's honestly, I, I find it this way. I, I gained a lot of respect for the industry. Like I, I vacuumed aircraft. You know, I didn't think I was going to be doing that, to be honest, uh, ever. But I vacuumed aircraft. I've cleaned. I've loaded. I've done everything. I've, I've driven tractors in minus 35 across ramps and getting frozen like a popsicle. I've seen storms on the ramp i you know you see a lot of things and you know honestly i i have a great respect for people um that do do those jobs as well and uh even crew scheduling for example a name like rashid can i tell people i'm like a name like rashid can go either way they can know you for good things or they can you know you as a guy that they're never gonna call <laughs> right so but um <laughs> i always i always enjoy talking to crew schedulers and do my best to help them out when you know even today uh, i am on vacation but i did help them out and yeah i'm, I'm also making a little bit of extra money today but uh, it's one of those things you you kind of it's a back and forth, right? We all work together as a team to get things done. It's 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 amazing to be honest how many things are happening around us that we don't even realize, right? That's cool. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I worked on the ramp for 15 years with Northwest Airlines and uh, Northwest Airlines, Northwest Airlink, and um, you know, so I've got that ramp experience. And you know, for me, it was always important to always have a good relationship with all the pilots and the air crews and everything. Um, and That's that right. definitely makes for for a better environment. Um, and you know, when you have those moments that you're getting close to push, but you may be a skosh late and you know, when you're, when you're in good with the pilots, you know, just to make sure you get that on time, you get the break. Yeah. It's, it's a team effort. It's definitely a team effort. It doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't work. No, definitely. It is definitely a team effort. It it works in part. You got to do to get eight cars to show on time. 
Uh, sorry, guys. I think my oh. I think tethering to my phone is is creating a little bit of lag here, but um, I will try and keep going because I still don't have power. Uh, okay. And uh, for our listeners who are wondering what in the world's going <laughs> on, um, we've got some thunderstorm action happening here today, and uh, I'm recording this without any power. So, as Rashid's schedule is a little crazy, we're just going to keep on rolling here and make sure we get this interview in the can. Um, and actually, Rashid, you were supposed to be in. Uh, Pakistan today and you are yeah. not <laughs> I was trying but you know I started some work at home and uh, you know I was hoping for a small little you know speck of like work that I was going to try to get done before I do anything but you know as how things go if you start touching things at home and you're like oh well this doesn't look nice I gotta work on this then you start peeling more things down and then all of a sudden now you have a can of worms that you just opened so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of uh, kind of got into that situation with this and it's okay I mean uh, it's vacation. I've been off for a while and, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm working at home. I'm even learning at home doing all of this new stuff that I haven't really done, to be honest, but yeah. uh, it's an experience for myself. So I do it as a, as a fun activity. Cool. Cool. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, so moving along a little bit, you are uh, at Pilot Rashid on Instagram and That's right. that is R-A-S-H-I-D. I keep making the mistake of spelling it ch uh on instagram and you're really active on there and just a really sort of one of these pilots that just loves to share uh has great positive comments and feedback uh why the instagram account well it uh the instagram account was initially honestly just a private account personal for personal friends and family and then um you know the followers started growing and things i was at the night on the 1900th time and these kind of kind of started talking to people that were kind of in the industry and as I kind of progressed along um, into the Q400, it became even more so like people were very interested in about knowing uh, how things work, how things are. And even when I, I look back at myself in, you know, 2011, I was, you know, during 1920, uh, there wasn't much information out there for myself to, you know, or people to talk to about, you know, having questions or how the schedule works, how, what is reserved, what does deadhead mean? Um, there's so many little things that you don't realize. Even people who are in flight school don't know these things, right? And so they're curious. And, you know, I had a lot of student pilots all across Canada, U.S., outside of Canada, outside of North America even. Um, there are a lot of, like, European pilots that, you know, as you may know, like, they do a lot of stuff. But European pilots are very different from North American pilots. Their training is very different from what, you know, what their programs are very different. Their type ratings are very different. They do a lot of different stuff out in Europe that we don't do here in, uh, in the North American flying yet. Uh, we are kind of moving towards that now, but there's there's still there's a still big gap of information that people don't know, right? And um, so it kind of turned into an account where I wanted to share what a life of an airline pilot was and um, how things are done, how what we're doing in the flight and stuff like that. I obviously have to be very careful. I, I try to make sure I do not touch the cameras and I uh, do not do anything that's not going to be legal in any way. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I tried. The only reason that the account came to be was to share information and uh, share it with people that are very interested in aviation. It's great, and as you know, um, people there are a lot of people that flock to that kind of information. So that's right. So yeah, thanks for doing that. Um, I I love your account, guys. If you if you're not <laughs> following yet, uh, follow Pilot Rashid on Instagram. Um, you had a incident with smoke in the cabin uh, one time in flight. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, you know we were. We had flown into New York, JFK, uh, one night. We used to do a nightly run um, that we used to do, a sked run. Uh, we would just go there, offload, and just onload and come right back. And we had just loaded up in New York, and we just took off uh, about 40 miles north of JFK. Uh, we noticed a smell 
of like electrical fire. Um, hard to describe, but you, you will, it's very noticeable, right? Even wires are just burning. And all of a sudden, we started having smoke, um, thick smoke building up in the cockpit. Um, that was probably the first time I actually declared a full mate. I actually even have my I kind of pulled out the recording from ATC Live just to kind of keep it for myself. But uh, we had to declare a mayday. We flew back in about, uh, about 40 to 60 miles north of the field, and we were down in eight minutes out of the aircraft and secured. Oh, wow. Um, so what happened? Yeah, it was, well, it was a flat motor that burned out. And uh, so it, you know, just, it kept reeling uh, forward forcefully. And it just wouldn't shut down. So uh, once we powered down the aircraft, it was fine. But uh, it just caused just caused the motor to burn up really fast. Okay, and that's uh, did it affect? It would affect your flap usage on that side as well. Yeah, we didn't have any flaps on landing. We noticed it as as we were doing checklists and trying to figure out exactly what the you know the diagnostic was. Oh, okay. We figured as we were trying to come into land, we're like, oh yeah, we lost our flaps. So it has to be definitely the flap motor that is not working for sure. Okay. Um, but we you know the runway was long. We had enough time to prep all of that. We did all our checklist item. I was actually the pilot, not flying on that one. So we had everything done. Uh, pretty, I was flying with a very senior captain at the time as well, so we got it done very nicely, and uh, we were down and safe. We got the aircraft repaired the next day and flew back. Okay, so at, now if you lose, if you have a flat motor that's gone, I'm presumably that's on one side. Did you, or was it? Did it affect the entire airplane? Uh, I think it was both sides. I think we didn't have an imbalance on the flaps at all, but it was okay. it was just the flat motor just burned out. We just didn't have any actuation, like no flap uh, flaps would go down. So okay. basically, what all it would do is increase our landing distance expansion but like with the 1900 is not that big and doesn't require that length of a field so you know when you go to jfk you have like thirteen thousand feet right yeah. um, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you touch down anywhere we were we literally could have stopped on the runway we were even able to like taxi off on a taxiway and uh we were out for six minutes before like all the emergency services actually got to us so i mean oh, their wow. response time was very fast but they come from across the apron but we we came in even faster trying to get down safely and um so we were secure very fast sure sure Still, that must have had your heart pounding because that you don't at yeah, the time you, know you don't know what's going on. Yeah, people always have that, right? Like when you your initial reaction will always be a little bit of like, you know, a heart spike. And uh, I wish I had a Fitbit monitor at the time. I would have loved to see my spike <laughs> and both of our captain my spike on that one. But yeah. uh, you almost have that a little bit. But then you kind of get into that zone where you're so focused. And even in this airline training and training that I did at WestJet uh, Encore is even more intense in that way, right? We are trained to not react, to be very calm, and to be um, very focused on what we're doing. And yeah, after, after we get down, yeah, I can have a little bit of a heart attack. That's fine. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, your <laughs> you training know, kicks in pretty quickly. Yeah. Your training kicks in pretty well. And if you've had good training, um, it's, it shouldn't be a challenge. We do it every six months in the airline world. And it was every year for us, uh, on the 1900 at the time. So it was good. Okay, cool. Uh, now we, we gave you uh, a chance and we, you haven't had much time, but we did give you a chance to, um, check out the Q400 on Infinite Flight. Did you have a chance to do that? I, you know, I barely did. I tried it out not too long, I won't lie, but what I saw was amazing. I, I saw the Q400. I, that was the first one I went to. I definitely chose the WestJet, uh, the library yeah. on that one as well. I taxied it around, uh, took off and tried to do a circuit on it. It was it was pretty cool. I thought it was excellent. Well done on that. The graphics were amazing. For I, I, I haven't tried it on my iPad, but on my iPhone, it was it was awesome. Um, I couldn't land the plane though. It was uh, kind of sad. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's so funny how the real pilot, the real world pilot, struggle landing on the uh, on the sim <laughs> itself. And you know what we have coming with this major uh, overhaul or update that we've got working on is uh, being able to you know start engines, shut them down, um, wow. and it's pretty cool in the dash to be able to do a, a single engine ops. Uh, you right. know, in route to the runway to hold short and 
and all that stuff. And, um, you know, with the global, it's going to be worldwide. And, you know, you've been talking about Pakistan. Well, yesterday, uh, Jason, Joe and I actually did a flight from, uh, we, we departed in the triple seven, uh, 300 ER from Istanbul, Turkey mm-hmm. and flew to, is it Karachi, Pakistan? Yep, that's, right. that's right. Yeah. And, uh, it was like a four and a half hour, five hour flight or something like that. And, Flew in and man, the scenery on that route. I actually posted a, a, a picture on our uh, Infinite Flight Instagram today uh, as, as part of that route, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. Oh, um, it's amazing! The Himalayas are right there. The train you fly over the Himalayas, you know, there's a lot to see out there too. Yeah, it was cool. absolutely well, stunning. Listen, Rashid, when you have some extra time on your flight to uh, Pakistan. Uh, bust out, bust out the iPhone or the iPad, and uh, pra- get, give it some practice, and then we'll talk to you again later and and see how yeah. you've done. Uh, for sure. And we'll have to get you to try it uh, also when the global update comes out for sure, because you've got uh, you've got an account. <laughs> I so do have, have an account now, so I will definitely check it out. I haven't done sim in a long time, to be honest. <laughs> you fly enough, you like you never touch the sim again. But sure. I, I really like that I can carry it around in the phone, and so I definitely will be keeping it and trying it out. Yeah, and it's cool because we have we have real world uh, air traffic controllers and pilots that use this on a pretty regular basis. So it just depends, you know. I've talked to, uh, I kind of just accosted my uh, South or was a American Airlines uh, pilot on the way to see my brother, and said, "Hey, mm-hmm. uh, can I can I ask you about?" whether you still are interested in using sims or not and he's like nope once i go out these doors i'm not, I have nothing to do with airplanes <laughs> that you know what okay. i won't lie that is true for me as well sometimes like you know pilots as we do it so often it's like we do kind of kind of like to be away from it but yeah you know i do love flying and i do i do very much appreciate the flight sims community and i do support it a lot uh it's funny you mentioned that i i actually was very interested in the atc side of things on uh on this as well, actually. Yeah, I was oh, more cool. interested in being an ATC than being a, a pilot on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let us know how we can help. We'd love to, uh, Mark and I are both involved in the uh, ATC community and our moderators, so we can get you what you need. That's And if awesome. you need any help with the Dash 8 Q400, I believe I have a tutorial that I've made. <laughs> I will definitely read on... that. <laughs> <laughs> how ironic. <laughs> Yeah, that's like, good. Maybe I can't figure out how the flaps work. You never know. <laughs> well, actually, speaking of Infinite Flight, uh, Rashid, since we're on that, we do have an online community with, uh, what, Mark, over 20,000 members on it. Um, wow. And, and this is this is a, a a big part of why Flightcast got started. Okay. So um, we asked them some questions uh, or asked if they had any questions um, for your interview. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to ask you, um, some of our community questions. It just depends how tough they're going to be. <laughs> well, we'll let you be the judge of that. All right. Uh, and actually, why don't we talk, since we were talking about single engine taxi and stuff, we'll start with the last one that I had here. Jeffrey102 asked, during single engine taxi, when do you start up the second engine on the queue? Well, um, there's no specific time for that. Uh, the second engine start is usually at the captain's discretion. Uh, we do usually time it to start approximately a few minutes before we do our, we're sure that we're going to be taking off because we are saving a lot of fuel. Um, the aircraft is very, much more fuel efficient and we are running all systems, um, you know, on say, one single engine. So we we try to do it a few minutes because I need time to start the engine for, you know, it's almost a minute cycle. Uh, I got to make sure the battery loads are good um, and, you know, finish our checklist items that we do have to do it right after. So 
um, there's no specific time for it, but we, we do take into account other conditions, right? We have to take into account such as weather, uh, runway conditions, taxiway conditions, fuel requirements, and airport restrictions, um, or delays. And even, even at times, cabin temperature, sometimes it gets too hot, we will fire up the second engine way sooner uh, so we can throw in some, you know, max bleed air into the cabin to cool it down faster because some days it is it gets really hot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Now, really hot in Canada, is that like... 65, <laughs> 70. Oh, come on. It can well, get pretty hot here. It can get pretty hot down in southern Ontario. I know in America, like, people don't believe that in, uh, in the U.S. sometimes, but it does pretty get, it does yeah. get pretty hot. <laughs> this summer, this summer, maybe not so much, but... Uh, no, not so uh, much. Yeah, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a crappier summer for us. But uh, uh, our friend Chris Levette was asking, uh, who was your biggest influence or role model during your journey to becoming a pilot? Well, um, you know, I've been very fortunate to have come across some really amazing people in my life that have, You're uh, you know, <laughs> like Mark, there you go. Uh, you know, they've helped me, motivated me and even guided me in many ways. Right. And that includes my family, very close friends and teachers, instructors and mentors um, and all of them, you know, to know who they are. Uh, but my biggest influence and even motivation, however, is definitely, I think, my parents and uh, you know, I come from a very traditional business family where, you know, the only son is expected to take over the family business. And uh, my parents have been great. They've always supported me. I even worked at the family business when I was 14. I had six, five, six years in managing that business as well. Like I, I did take part in that very nicely. And, you know, as and a lot of my skills, my interpersonal skills, my computer skills probably developed through all of that. Um, so definitely my parents uh, really worked hard to bring us up and um, you know, give us the right education and give us the exposure that we needed to uh, do what we love to do and give us the support that we needed to make sure that happened. So it definitely uh, the biggest influence has to be my uh, parents, because even when I sit down with them and they don't know, you know, parents, my, my family has no aviation background in any way. We have doctors and, uh, you know, maybe business people, but that's there's, that's it. There's no aviation. I'm probably the only pilot in generations in our in our family. And um, so even them themselves don't know so much. But when I sit down with them and we're talking um, you know, you can tell that they're like living their own dreams through mine at times. And I love that. Um, so a lot of my, you know, Instagram stories, if my parents can't get in touch with me, sometimes they are probably my biggest fans. They'll actually go and check where the heck I am. And, oh, Rashid's flying a plane. So, okay, you know, that they know. Nice. Um, so, so it is, it is nice. So definitely if someone asks me, yeah, my, my parents for sure. That's awesome. Um, Chris also asked if you could change anything during your trek to becoming a pilot, what would it be? Um... That's a good question. Um, you know, initially, a few years ago, maybe I would have been like a lot of things. I did, probably didn't want to continue being a pilot at some point because it, it was hard. Uh, you know, there weren't many jobs. You had to, you know, work really hard. And uh, for me, especially coming from Pakistan, like coming into a country where um, I'm basically competing against other Canadian pilots. And, you know, even though I'm a Canadian pilot, when I had the license, it's very challenging when you don't do your schooling in a country, right? You don't know people. So you have to network and it's harder when you have a foreign license and you're converting. So a lot of things to explain to other people. Um, and, you know, um, for me, now that I look back, I think I would change nothing um, because, you know, all of the things that happen, I look back now and I have stories to tell and, you know, things to remember and people that I met that became amazing friends are still, you know, I stay in touch with them and um, all of which happened because I took this path. And so, you know, I learned a lot over the years to be where I am, and you know, there's still so much out there to learn. And for me, I think this journey just has begun now. It's not anywhere close to where I, you know, it's not an end for me. I think it's a beginning. And so, um, yeah, definitely now that I look back, I probably wouldn't change anything. I love the 
I love the positive attitude. It's great. You have yeah, great you know what? I think maybe I'm, I've always my parents even say like I, I've always been positive throughout. Now, I, I you know I don't I've, even in very crappy situations I somehow managed to find some kind of positivity in it. Like people are like, oh, Rashid, you're working on your vacation today. Why are you Why are you happy? I'm like, well, this is a vacation. I do you know two three flights today. I have all day in Quebec City. I'm probably gonna go out for dinner with my crew. Uh, there's another crew here, so we might actually like eight of us might actually go out for dinner tonight. And we do have an early start, but, you know, it, it turns into a mini vacation. If you, it's honestly what you make of it, I think. Um, some people will not. It's, 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 you know, it's a glamorous. It looks like a glamorous job. You know, you're flying planes and you're at the airports or flight tenants and you're all looking very snazzy and dressed up and everything. But honestly, I think it's um, and some people don't find it that way at times. Right. Some people think of it as a job and, a, you know, it's something that they have to do and get done and get home. And that's that's completely OK. It's everyone has their own priorities. Um, but you know, if you if you you, it is what you make of it. I'd like to enjoy it as much as I can, even in other things in life. I I'm, I try to keep a very positive attitude, and I think it gets me away from um, a lot of things I find in life. Listen, do us a favor and uh, <laughs> give do a do a, a WestJet crew uh, Instagram post tonight. Oh, I, I'll try my best. See if I can get like all of them in a picture. It's very hard to ask. You know, I even though I take a lot of pictures, I'm actually very shy to ask people to take a picture or. Uh, you know, selfies and, you know, I've started doing it a little bit more recently, but I initially, like, I don't like to, like, put people in, like, that position where someone has to take a picture for us, but I, I will do my best tonight to get that. You have to say, listen, I have to give Flightcast a shout-out with a crew picture, so just <laughs> well, indulge me. I'm definitely me. giving you guys a shout-out today. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> cool. So uh, let's move it along and uh, ask a few more questions before we let you for go. Sure. Uh, will A asked, what is the most challenging part of flying the Q400 for you? Hmm. Um, again, good question. Um, I think initially when I first came into this, the Q400 is a very complex aircraft, sometimes even more complex than the jets because we have a lot more extra systems involved. You know, it's a propeller. Um, there's auto feather. There's a lot more yaw. Um, challenging part, I think, initially was, you know, the systems knowledge. Even though I have been flying, uh, it makes it easy for me because I have been flying turboprops. I flew the PD6 engines. This is considered a PD7 uh, you know, it has a lot of power, so it's very fast. The biggest challenge initially was the speed. I remember my first uh, takeoff after sim, I took off, and I was flying with the training captain, out, and uh, we took off out of Halifax my, for my first takeoff, and I remember I took off, everything went great, it was awesome, I was kind of like in a wow moment kind of thing, and we took off, and he asked me, so how was that? And I was like, I'm still on the runway. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Mentally, right. I was still on the runway. I was like, everything happened so fast that I'm still on the runway. Uh, so he laughed and he was like, yeah, you know, it, it is a fast machine. So, you know, we are, we, when we take off today, we took off pretty light and, uh, you know, you had to keep a 15 to 18 degree pitch uh, to keep the speed underneath, right? Like you don't want to be crossing the speed limits and stuff. And mm, so yeah. um, it's a complex aircraft. There's a lot of enhanced navigation systems in it. And uh, so there's a lot of automation involved as well. So, I mean, that, that probably would be the biggest, I think, challenges to coming from very um, non EFIS or what's your glass cockpit environment coming into like a very automated machine, I think was probably the biggest challenge initially. Okay. And then conversely, um, I don't know how to say this. Um, Mark, help me out here on D. Nico Chile. I have no idea what you're trying to say. (laughs) Nico Chile too, maybe. Anyway, someone asked, what is the best part of flying the Q? Oh, okay. Well, um, again, it, I guess the best part is it's it's a PD6 engine or PD7. I guess it's a PW150. It's 5,071 shaft horsepower. The 1900 that I flew had 1,100 horsepower on each engine. 
Um, oh. This engine is huge. It's 5,000 and actually can go up to 7,000 horsepower. So it's a huge engine and it's super fast. Uh, again, I mentioned like conversely again the same thing. It's the opposite. Like it's very organized cockpit at times. There are some finicky things involved. Um, um, also, you know, just to add also like the landing of the aircraft is a little bit of a challenge at times too because it is very long and the way it's designed, it does not. We do not have a lot of room to flare. Like at six degrees, we are correcting it. Above six degrees, we have a very confirmed hit for to hit the tail. So that's also a very big challenge. I, I want to add to the last uh, question. Okay. Sorry. Um, on the other side, I mean. The nice side, it's a very nice machine to fly. It is fast, even though it's a turboprop. We are cruising at 360 knots at cruise, which is probably a little bit less than 100 knots, you know, slower than a jet. So it's 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 a fun machine. It's a very fast machine, very organized in some ways, and and a lot quieter than the two and three. Yes, a lot quieter. Um, well, I guess we're so far forward as well. Sometimes we don't hear anything, but yeah. Um, yeah, it, we even it has an AVNS uh, and BS system in there, so it's like pretty much like what you call the um, noise cancellation system, right? So it does make it a lot more quieter in the cabin as well. Right. That's similar to what they put into the uh, Saab 2000, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. You're the third or fourth Q400 pilot that we've interviewed, and everybody says the same thing. It's a beast. Oh, it's a beast. I love it. You know, coming from a caravan, like, and it's funny, you get adjusted as a pilot, you always get adjusted to the speeds very fast. Like, I took off in a caravan. Um, when I was on the 1900 and like at 500 feet, I was already mentally done the after takeoff check, I was done everything. And I was like, Oh, we're only at 500 feet. Cause you know, the speed was <laughs> yeah. so slow. Yeah. The caravan was an awesome machine to fly. It was only like 675 horsepower. Uh, the first time you, you get into the 1900 and you know, you're like, Oh my God, this thing is so fast. The 1900 seemed fast. And then you sit in the queue. It's like, Q is definitely a beast. It's too fast. Like you're pretty close to <laughs> flying a jet at that point. Yeah. At that point, you're pretty much flying a jet. It, yeah. You know, honestly, in most countries now, they almost consider it a jet. It is, 65,000 pounds, you know, it's almost 30 tons uh, of weight, and, you know, it's EFIS equipped. It has almost the same navigation systems other than the auto throttle. Um, even some of the aircraft in Canada are actually equipped with uh, heads-up displays on these things, and they can do Cat 3 approaches. Yeah, so amazing. it is a very heavily equipped aircraft. Mm -hmm. uh, Not last... to mention the APU that it comes with. Oh, then right. the APU. Don't forget yeah. the APU. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yep. uh, last question. Michael asked, and uh, he's he's basing this on seeing a lot of, uh, doing a lot of plane spotting, I think, doing, seeing a lot of Dash 8s land. Uh, when landing the queue, is it softer to land on one wheel or both wheels? He's seen a lot land on one wheel. Is that on purpose? Um, I wouldn't say so, but it is a high, you have to consider the design of the aircraft first, I think. It's a high wing, so it's like a, you know, it's a high wing aircraft, Um so it is more susceptible to crosswinds, right? When we have a crosswind input, we, we need to cross. We have to correct for that. And um, I guess, yeah, it makes sense. I can see it. If there's a little bit of crosswind, you're almost going to end up trying to touch on one wheel first, I guess. Um, but it is a high wing loading, and so that way the aircraft ends up touching down. But it's not intentional. I don't think anyone's trying to touch down. Uh, if the winds are calm, we're trying to touch down both wheels, right? But if there's a crosswind involved, um, we might end up doing a little bit of a crab and try to you know get down and so that might look like it but there's no intent or purpose to do one wheel first anytime okay got it you know what I mean? yeah all right man rashid is there anything else that you wanted to share uh, with our listeners or make them aware of before we let you go today um well you know i can tell you a little bit um what i do want to say to people is like people who are trying to get into the industry right now and um Things are very different. See, when I started this this whole thing, you know, jobs were very uh, scarce and uh, they were hard to come by and moving up in the industry was a little bit harder. I was at the tail end of where 
people had experience. You know, we had about two, you know two thousand hours on the airlines. Right now, um, you could have you know two hundred fifty hours, and you could be you know get into the airlines and get be flying the Q four hundred. So I mean, uh, the biggest thing I would say is like work hard. You know, it is it is a lot of work and pursue your dreams if you if you want to be a pilot i i don't think there's any better time the industry is amazing right now it's great for all of us that um things are moving so fast in the industry and it's going to be great so definitely uh yeah and if you guys ever if people ever have questions i'm always you know on instagram i do try to like talk i do talk to a lot of uh, people that are you know currently working on the license so i do try to help people out so anytime i do my best to answer questions or concerns or any ideas or opinions you have you definitely send them my way awesome Mark, you got anything? No, man. Uh, look, uh, appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on the show today. And you know, and I think one one thing um, about your story uh, and the timelines is the fact that it's encouraging for others to to simply not give up, no matter how hard they have to work to get to where uh, they want to be, um, and you know, just to keep pushing through and pushing through, uh, and yep. all of that hard work will will pay off. And and I, and I love that you shared that with us uh, today and, and what you portray on your Instagram. I mean, you obviously have fun with what you do. You have fun and it's not necessarily just a job. I mean, you enjoy and have a good time with what you do and that's great. So we definitely appreciate you being here, man. No, thank you so much. No, that's exactly what it is. You got to have fun and enjoy it. And um, once you do, if you, you know, for me, like coming from there, it was very, it was difficult initially. And I, at some point I did think I was going to quit maybe, but, uh, if you just push through and go with it, like you said, it, it works out where hard work will always pay off. And, uh, you know, thank you for letting me actually share this, uh, with all the people that are good listening in on this. Awesome. Rashid, thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers. That was Pilot Rashid on the Q400, and he joined us today from Quebec City on Skype. Okay, guys, please follow Rashid on Instagram at Pilot Rashid, and don't forget to check out Flightcast Cafe for bonus content from this and other episodes at flightcast.audio/cafe. Also, keep your eye on our blog for our Warbird weekend schedule at flightcast.audio, and don't forget to come and say hi at our booth on Saturday, October 7th, 2017. Thanks for listening. Be sure to download Infinite Flight from the App Store or Google Play. For more on the podcast, visit flightcast.audio and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. You can find us on social media at Flightcast Audio. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell, hosting with me as always with Skyhawk Heavy. Thanks for listening and happy landings. Happy landings.